In chapter 8, we continue to see the gospel move forward. And what we've learned is that no matter what obstacle tries to keep the gospel from, from spreading, it just doesn't work. It just keeps moving on. And one of the reasons for this is because of the supernatural power of God. That God is greater than any force or any power that seeks to impede the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is comforting because it gives us a confidence that we know that this great commission that God has called us to, to take the gospel and to hold in the whole world uh, and to make disciples of all nations, that we know that that is going to be done because our confidence is not in my efforts and your efforts, but rather in the effort and the power of God. So our confidence is not in us. Our confidence is where it ought to be in our God. Now, with that confidence, complete and absolute confidence and dependence upon God that doesn't eliminate or lessen to any degree your and my responsibility in what it is that God is doing. That means that all of us are called to be used of God to be able to spread the gospel and to join him in his work. Um, At one point, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Now, when he says missionary, I don't think he means it in the strictest, narrowest definition of a missionary as you and I would think of one, of, of somebody who leaves his country, goes to another country to live and to propagate the gospel. I don't think that's what he means. I think it's far more general than that. I think what he meant was He's including all Christians, no matter where they are, whether they live in Yuli or whether they live in the Middle East, that they, as they are going throughout their daily lives, are faithful to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when we go back to this quote, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter, I think what he in essence is saying, let me say it in a little bit different way, uh, you are either, I am either a Christian who takes part in God's plan to to reach the world with the gospel, or you and I do not, and we are merely pretending to be believers in Jesus Christ. I don't know if you heard that, but that is a tough saying. That is hard. That's a tough, very, very difficult statement. But let me say this. I don't know where you stand with that, but I do know Philip, a man that we've been studying over the last several chapters, I do know that Philip uh, was no imposter. That Philip was a missionary in the fullest sense of that word, of how it would be defined. He, he was sharing the gospel. He was faithful to share in his own hometown there in Jerusalem. He was faithful that once persecution arose that, and, he, and, he, and he left Jerusalem, that in Samaria he again was faithful to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the Samaritans. And now he's moved again, and now that he is going to a different place we see him sharing the gospel again. And even at the end of, uh, of, the book, uh, of chapter 8, we see when he goes to Caesarea, he's again sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is a missionary. He's no pretender. But here's the question that I want to ask you this morning. The question I want to ask before we take of the Lord's Supper, and I hope that it's a concise question and, and the sermon is concise enough, but I want to make sure that it's not so brief we don't, we're not captured by it. And, and the question is this. Are you... A Christian missionary, or are you a Christian pretender? Which of those are you? Only you can answer that. And what I wait, what I want to do is I want to answer that question by trying to answer three other questions. You like that, right? 
You say, I got a question. Somebody's like, well, let me ask you a question. You're like, you're not answering my question, right? So how do we know which one of those are? Answer three different questions. Here's the questions. The first two are primarily, primarily for those who say that they are believers in Christ. The third is for those who know that they are not followers of Jesus Christ. Three questions. First of all, will you go? Do you know? And what is holding you back? Will you go? Do you know? And what is holding you back? That first question, will you go? In verse 26, we see that, that, that Philip had been in Samaria and, and an angel speaks to him and says, look, I want you to begin to travel south. I want you to go from Jerusalem to Gaza and I want you to take the desert road. So important understanding during that time, there were two major routes going from Jerusalem down to Gaza. One was much more traveled, a much more plush, better road. One was the road less traveled, much more difficult, much more, much more difficult to be able to travel and to be able to get where you want to go. But the angel instructs him to take the more difficult path. Now, this is interesting because if he followed along with Philip at all, you know that this would come as a huge convenience of him. The instruction and calling of God would come as a huge inconvenience to his regular life in which he was living. This man was in Samaria enjoying unprecedented success in ministry. This is the type of, uh, of success that every pastor, every minister, every missionary only either dreams about, prays for, or reads about in some book that was written 100 years ago. He had gone to a land that he didn't want to be a part of because he knew growing up that he was supposed to hate this group of Samaritans, and he also knew these Samaritans hated him. But when he got there, not only did they listen to him, but the people began to respond in faith to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and people began to come to faith in droves following after God. Who wants to leave that? I know I wouldn't want to leave it. But yet in the midst of all of this success... He says, you need to go. You need to go down to a hot desert road. Now, it's easy for us to sit back and go, well, that's a good thing because many of us are familiar with the story. We know what's going to happen. We know that he's going to meet an Ethiopian eunuch. He's going to come to faith in Christ. And then the gospel is now going to go to Africa, which in the day was considered the uttermost parts of the earth. But here's the thing. He didn't know that. He was told to go to a hard place and to do a hard thing and the Bible said, without any kind of promise that anything was going to go well, in his mind, it's all going to be hard, but he's willing to go. The Bible says that he responds, and it says that he went, that he, 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 brought, he got his stuff together, and, and he prepared. The word prepared means that he, he, he got what was necessary for the journey, and then he immediately left. Why would he have to prepare? Because this was not like an overnight trip. This was going to take days, maybe even weeks, for him to be able to do what it is that God had called him to do. So with that said, understanding he was willing to do what was difficult, let me ask you, are you willing to go where it's hard? Are you willing to do what is difficult in the Christian life in order to be able to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ? When I ask that question, it's such a dangerous question because it's so easy to answer, but it's so difficult to answer honestly. Because we could sit there in, in, in a room full of Christians is, and ask, are you willing to go wherever it is that God calls you to go and do whatever it is that God calls you to do? And we can sit here in our plush, lovely church in the U.S. I'm not trying to be angry. This is what God was dealing with me as I was coming back on the plane flight. And I was looking at this scripture and I'm looking over it and go, am I willing to be able to go? And it's easy to be able to go, yes. If I were to ask, how many of you are willing to go to hard places and do hard things for God? Yes. Everybody raises their hand. It's like the last night of youth camp right? Everybody's excited. Yeah, we'll do it. 
And the problem is it's just so hard to really validate to see whether you and I are, on, are being honest because by raising our hand and saying yes, everybody around us thinks we're more spiritual than what we are and we feel good about ourselves because we've convinced ourselves we'll do whatever it is that is hard. Very hard to validate, but I think there is a way to validate whether we are willing to be able to do these things. And that is simply this, is if I ask you, are you willing to go where it's hard and do what is hard there, the way you answer that and to whether you know whether you would be willing or not is to determine whether you are willing to go to hard places here and do hard things here, where you are. And I'm going to tell you this, and I was convicted about this this week, is it's amazing to me. Now, this is your pastor, and maybe this makes me... I don't know what this is going to do for you, but I hope it doesn't shipwreck your faith. But it is much easier for me to go to Mumbai, where there's 22 million people, even sharing the gospel with Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists and Hare Krishna and everything else, than it is sometimes to be able to share the gospel with my own family. And to share the gospel with some of my neighbors that I've been neighbors with for years and if not yet, broach them with a serious conversation about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the truth of the matter is, is in asking, are we willing to be able to go there? And, and why do I ask the question? I ask the question because Philip is enjoying unprecedented success in the spread of the gospel. And I think it has to do, yes, with God's grace. But I think it's God blessing people who are willing to go and do hard things and go hard places. I think he reserves that kind of reward for those who are willing to be able to do it. And here at Mercy Hill, if we're going to be serious about this whole Great Commission thing, it cannot be all about here. You know that. It must be that we've got to raise more people, young people, old people, pastors, even on staff, who are willing to go to tough places, do hard things for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we have to be able to do it here as well. We have to be able to sit there. You, you must be able to go to that guy at your work that nobody likes, that thinks he is, he is related somehow to Satan himself, and to be able to sit there and go, brother, I would love to be able to have a cup of coffee with you and love to be able to discuss something that's been on my heart for some time. To be able to go to a family member that you know that thinks you are crazy and, and you keep inviting them to church, inviting them to church. Inviting somebody to church is not inviting somebody to place faith in Jesus Christ. Those are two completely different things. And so the question that I have for you today is, are you a missionary or are you a pretender? It is based on answering the question, are you willing to go where it's hard? Are you willing to do what is hard? Second question, not only will you go, but do you know? Do you know? So we know that Philip, following the story, Philip goes down. Somehow, some way, by chance, he runs into this guy on this deserted road, Right? We don't think it's by chance. But anyway, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. He, he meets this guy down on this road where he's traveling. And, and, and this guy is an Ethiopian eunuch. He is uh, high in the government of the Ethiopian uh, government. He, he overlooks the treasury of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. Now, just very quickly, geographically, uh, when we think of Ethiopia, it's not today's Ethiopia. This is more of the area of Sudan. It's kind of south of Egypt. You're like, who cares just explaining the text to you, okay? So you're not like, hey, he went over to Ethiopia, and it's, and it's a different location. And so this man, he was a eunuch, which means that he had been castrated. Um, ask your mom what that means. And, um, 
And so he was castrated, and this was normative for the day. If you were going to be close to the royal family, if you were going to be close uh, to the harem, then in order to be able to protect and make sure that you were no threat, they would castrate those people. So this man had been uh, castrated. Now, these are all very interesting truths about this man. Uh, By the way, Candace is not a personal name. It wasn't Queen Candace. Um, So if your name is Candace, Candy, whatever, it's this. That's not the same. So Candace in this particular name, just want to make sure we're clear with that as well. Uh, don't want you to get a big head. I'm a queen. And, um, and so the idea there is it's just a title like, uh, like king or, or emperor. And so he's leading there. Now, those are all interesting little things or not as some of you are sleeping. But the idea, the idea there is what's most interesting is he is a God-fearer. And that's, that's what we need to really understand, which means he wasn't Jewish, he wasn't a proselyte. A proselyte is a Gentile who comes to faith and converts to Judaism, but he was a God-fearer, which means he was none of those things, but he did worship the Jewish God. And so he worshiped this Jewish God, and we don't, we don't know exactly how he even came to know about this or became a worshiper of God. There was historically during that day a large group, contingent of Jewish people who were actually in Ethiopia. Maybe he had heard from them. We just can't be... We can't be sure, but here's the idea. He was so sincere in his faith and worship of God that he was willing to travel 500 miles from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to be able to worship for a very short period of time, only then to turn around and go back 500 miles. I know people who won't drive to church five minutes, never mind 500 miles to be able to come and worship God. This guy is sincere. He's the real deal. No, as he begins his journey back, this is, when, uh, this is when Philip sees him on this road. They meet up together. And when he sees him at a distance, the Holy Spirit, again, we're not sure exactly how he does this, but the Holy Spirit tells him to run, right? And for a lot of us, if we're going to run, it's going to take the Holy Spirit to tell us to do it directly, right? And so, so he begins to run after this, 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 cha- this chariot. And right when he comes up to the chariot, he's reading an Isaiah scroll. This is how we know that he's rich because he just didn't have a copy of God's word just laying around. He's got it scattered out and he's reading it. And he reads these words from Isaiah 53, 7 through 8. It says, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? And so talking about a perfect segue, right? Here he is. He's reading about the coming and promised Messiah and his humiliation, the death, burial, and resurrection. And it just so happens that he runs up and he hears him say this. And what does he do? He goes, hey. You got to remember, he's running. Hey, what you doing? Right? And he's running. He's like, well, I'm just kind of reading the scroll here, the Isaiah scroll. And he goes, well, you know what it means? And he's like, no. He's like, how can I know? How can I know unless someone guides me? At this particular point, he invites him up, which I'm sure Philip was appreciative of. He gets up into the chariot. And when he is in the chariot with him, he asks him this question. He, he, He asks him, he says, He says, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? So here is his quandary. This is what he needs to be able to know. Here's his question. Now, this is how we know that he's a real student of the word, because during that day, even the great, there was a great debate on who Isaiah was speaking about. Is he speaking about himself? Is he speaking about another a Messiah? Is he speaking about the nation of Israel itself? This guy was caught up on all the debates, and he wanted to know the answer. 
And so the Bible says at this point, look at verse 35, and this is what's key. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus Christ. This is a beautiful picture of the role of you and I in God's redemptive plan for mankind. All the time, people are trying to figure out how do we win the loss? How do we win the loss? How do we win the loss? And those are great and wonderful questions. What kind of programs are most effective? What should we do? What kind of ways should we present the gospel? What, what, what is the best way to be able to engage them? Let me tell you what God's plan of reaching a lost and dying world is for you and I to become experts of God's word, to know it thoroughly inside and out because a lost world needs a guide to understand who God is and what his will is for them. He says, how will I know without a guide? You, in God's redemptive plan, is a guide to be able to meet people where they are with the questions that they have. The whole world is asking questions. Why am I here? Why do bad things happen? Why can't I find any joy? Why can't I find any peace? The idea here is that you and I engage that culture because we have answers. And where do we get those answers? Church, from the Word of God. We meet them where they are in their pain, in their questions, and then what we do is then we then move them from that place seamlessly to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where did Philip learn this? Well, apparently the church began to do the very thing because we see Jesus do the very thing. If you were to go over to Luke chapter 24, there Jesus, the resurrected Christ, there are some men that are walking on the road to Emmaus and they're really down because they believe Jesus was going to be the Messiah and they can't figure out why in the world he was put to death and now what does this mean? And they can't make sense of any of it. And Jesus is the guy who begins to ask them, why are you down? What's going on? Then they finally figure out that this was Jesus Christ himself. And the Bible says there, doesn't it sound familiar to hear? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You and I, as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're trying to find your play, you and I have got to be students of the word. And, and there's a couple things that I've realized that, I mean, the, the Bible commands us, literally, 1 Peter uh, three fifteen. but in your heart, honor Christ and the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So not only are we need to be willing to go to hard places, but you and I need to know the word in a way that we can engage a lost world to answer the very questions of their heart, the very questions of their soul. And this begin to, on a plane back again from the Middle East, I begin to sit there and go, God, are we offering what needs to be offered here at Mercy Hill? And there's a yes and there's a no. The word of God is being preached. People are learning within their small groups by qualified teachers. There are people, we have, a, we have um, other classes that we give throughout the, the year for training. We've, we, we have one-on-one discipleship. All those are good, but I just keep coming back. This is not enough. This is not enough here for Mercy Hill for us to be able to prepare you in the way that you need to be able to prepare to be able to engage a lost world in the lost world in which we live. That's on us. We're going to work on that. I promise you that. But here's the other idea. It's not ultimately our responsibility. It's your responsibility as well. If you peaked in your knowledge of God's word in middle school, that is way too early to peak. In other words, you and I are supposed to be students of the word, first of all, so that we could be transformed in the image and likeness of Christ. If there is no knowledge, there is no transformation. But we are also limited in our witness to the world when we do not know the word in a way that we can meet them where they are 
and seamlessly transition them to the person of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what John MacArthur said. John MacArthur quotes, Every believer should strive to be proficient in the scriptures so that we too can meet people at the point of their perplexity and lead them to the Savior. Here's my question. Do you know? Will you go? Do you know? And and finally, last question, and this is for those who do not know Christ. And here's the question. What is holding you back? What is holding you back today from placing your repenting and placing your faith in Jesus Christ? And here's why. Look at verse 36. And he says, And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? So this is an important question. But let's note this. I've been jokingly saying it just so happens that this happened and that happened and this happened. It's a wonderful teaching here in the Word of God that even though we are engaged with God and we are going and we are learning and we are sharing, it's not about us at all, is it? That God is the one who is bringing all of this about. He's moving all this. He's making this happen. It was the Holy Spirit, an angel that told him to go. It was the Holy Spirit that told him to run. It was the Holy Spirit that allowed him to go next to this at the exact time that he's reading about the crucified Christ. And then now, after, and it doesn't include it here, but now that he comes to faith in Christ, we just don't have that conversation. The man is now, they, they come up, it's ready for him to be baptized, and they come up on some water in the desert. Is this happenstance or is this the providence of God? It's the providence of God he's moving. So only God can get the glory. No matter what we do, no matter where we go, only God can get the glory. Are you with me? If you're sitting on, on an amen, pull it out and throw it out right there, okay? All right, so that's where we want to, to be. Now notice the eunuch. L- listen to his question very carefully. He says, so here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Why in the world would he even ask such a question? Here's why he'd ask a question. All of his life, he was an outsider on the outside looking in. From the moment that he looked and he wanted, he heard about this God, he wanted to be a part of the family of God. But every imaginable barrier as a black Gentile eunuch man, he would have experienced every cultural, religious, and prejudice barrier that one could ultimately imagine. So his whole life, he's on the outside looking in. These Jews have this God, but he can't, he can't get in the family. He can't become a child of God. He's told, them, he's told oh, uh, uh, time and time again. Even when he makes 500-mile trip to Jerusalem, when he gets to Jerusalem, him being from Sudan, he would have been very black. Those Jews that were there were, not, were, were, were darker, but they weren't as black as him. And we understand within the sinful heart, unregenerate heart of man, We understand that men has a tendency to be able to judge people by the color of their skin and by what they look like. Just, hey, you look like this. This is who you ultimately are. He had to deal with that. It wasn't accepted because perhaps of the skin, the color of his skin. We understand that he was a Gentile, which means the Jews hated the Gentiles. And even though they were commanded of God to be able to provide a place, a court of the the Gentiles, for them to be able to come and worship, they were pushed out away from the center presence of God. They couldn't come any closer. This man, who is a black Gentile man, can't even get into the court of the Gentiles. Why? Because he's a eunuch. And the Old Testament had laws commanding him that because of what had happened to his body, because he was disfigured, he couldn't even get as close as the regular Gentiles. He was out. No wonder he comes and asks the question, what keeps me, what barriers keep me from being baptized and being a part of God's family? It makes complete and utter sense. And, and I don't know how he responded because there is no response. Maybe he just goes, nothing, let's go. Let's go get baptized. Or maybe as he was teaching him through the word of God and through the Isaiah scroll, he goes, look, now that you got that Isaiah scroll open, turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 56. 
I, I don't know how he did it, but maybe he did I don't even know if he did it. But how encouraging would this be? How encouraging would this be with this man? In Isaiah 56, verse 3, it says, which says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely, will surely separate me from his people. And let the, the eunuchs say, Behold, I am a dry tree. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Every barrier, every barrier is done away. And so I want to ask you, what was holding him back? Apparently nothing was holding him back. My question for you today, Nick, you can come, is this, is what's holding you back? You've been visiting here. You've been attending here. You hear the gospel every week, but there's something that's holding you back. What is it? What barriers are restraining you? And, and for some of you, it might be this. You might come and you say, I'm just too sinful. I get it. Look, half, half the congregation I'm trying to convince that they, they have sin and they need Jesus. The other half are so overwhelmed with their sin that they can't even see hope in Jesus Christ. I'm telling you this, for the person who says their barrier is I'm too sinful, I can't be forgiven, the Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. For the person who says I'm afraid of how my family and parents and friends will respond, I'm afraid of the cost of following Jesus Christ. If I make this move, I will respond to you again, the barrier being broken, for I'm convinced that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us in Christ Jesus. And for the person who sits back and says, I just don't know if God will accept me. I've been rejected all of my life by my dad, by my mom, by a spouse, by, by family. Will God ultimately accept me? And in John 6, 37, God responds, all the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. Through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, he has broken every barrier for you to be able to come. The only thing necessary is for you to repent of your sin and place your faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ. For you to come and say, I am deserving of hell, I'm deserving of the judgment of God, but God in his goodness and his grace paid the price for me on that cross, and through his death, burial, and resurrection, my sins have been satisfied in God, and now I place my faith, my whole life in that. And the Bible says, if you do that, he'll save you. He'll save you. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to go? Will you go? Do you know? And what is holding you back? Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you this morning and we thank you and we love you and we honor you. And God, right now, before we take of the Lord's Supper, I just ask, Lord, would you move in this place? Would we respond to the preaching of your word? Lord Jesus, we love you. You are great and mighty God. Lord, I pray that you would move. God, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for understanding what it is that we need to do to be a part of your work, knowing that only you can get the glory because it's you behind the scenes working in order to orchestrate the salvation of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. But God, I pray that if there's anything restraining anyone here today, that they will understand that you've torn down every barrier and all they need to do is repent and believe. May today be the day of salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand? Would you stand? And I'm gonna be down here if you wanna...